Our reading today is out of Numbers chapter 13. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him We cannot attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked at, and we looked the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What is going on with this generation? Not this generation. This generation we just read about in the scriptures. What, what is wrong with these people? I mean, there's a, there's a Jewish saying that one of y'all from a Jewish background told me about during this time. It says, it would have been enough. And you recount the stories of God, and in the Jewish tradition, you say, it would have been enough if we had just seen the plagues. It would have been enough if God had just parted the Red Sea. It would have been enough if we had just been the people to receive the commandments. You just go through the story and say, one of those things would have been enough. And yet, God, you've given us all those things, right? So I want us to put ourselves in that place for just a moment. Before we get to how they just really messed up and how they abandoned God, let's imagine if we would have seen the things they saw. Say we were stuck down at the shore of Lake Travis right here, right? With the most mighty army at our back, and they want to kill us, or they want to kill some of us and drag us back to slavery, us and our kids. And we're there, and we can't get across the lake. There are no boats. We can't swim in. It's too far. We're about to die. And God says, hey, see that stick? Put it in the water. And suddenly, the waters are torn apart, and we, all of us, escape to safety on the mucky lake bed of Lake Travis, And when our enemies try to follow us, the waters rush back over them, and they're drowned, and we're saved. Guys, if that was what happened to Bee Creek United Methodist Church, would we not be telling that story to every person in Lago Vista who would listen to us? Would that not be the the defining moment in the rest of our lives if that one thing happened to us? We, if God said, hey, you know, um, we need, I need you to go to a hospital. Okay, okay, I'm going, you know. I need somebody to sign up to be an, okay, God, I'm here. Whatever crazy thing you ask or need, I remember you ripped the lake apart and saved my life. Now, imagine if, you know, your phone goes dead 
you have to get to this really critical meeting up in Dallas. It, oh, it's so bad. No GPS, no phone. And suddenly, as you pray, a pillar of fire comes down before your car, and God says, I will lead you to Dallas, right? And you follow a pillar of cloud to Dallas in your meeting turn by turn? Would you be like, yeah. So a pillar of fire led me here, you know. A pillar of fire led them. A pillar of cloud during the day. They never couldn't see God. Blood on the doorpost of their house saved their children from death. They saw the plagues. They woke up every day and God had provided food that they didn't need to plant or harvest or tend. It was just there. How did they go so wrong? I mean, what should be happening is I should be putting up posters of this generation, and we should be telling all of our little kids, grow up and be like this. This is how you want to be, right? This is what should have happened because they saw the most. And yet, instead of turning out into examples, to me, they seem a lot more like this. This man right here is my great-grandfather. He's the first cat herder in our family. Herding cats, don't let anybody tell you it's easy. Anybody can herd cattle. Holding together 10,000 half-wild short hairs, well, that's another thing altogether. Being a cat herder is probably about the toughest thing I think I've ever done. I got this one this morning right here. And if you look at his face, it's it just ripped to shreds, you know? You see the movies, you, you hear the stories, it's... I'm living a dream. Not everyone can do what we do. I wouldn't do nothing else. It ain't an easy job, but when you bring a herd into town and you ain't lost a one of them, ain't a feeling like it in the world. Managing the complexities of the digital economy. God is seeking to manage the complexities of his people, right? Much like them. The, the issue we see here is that we say, well, seeing, if I had seen it, I would believe. If I had seen that, I would believe. But what we see is that they saw all of it, and they didn't that they acted like cats, they went their own way, they refused to be led every single turn, every time they have a chance to be like, I'm for God and God's for me. They're like, I don't like this food. There's not enough variety in my diet. I remember the glory days back in Egypt. It was so good when, that, when we were slaves. I mean, what? So what I'm going to say is, don't be like these people. Don't grow up and be like this. We cannot let this happen to us. Seeing is not believing. There's a crucial step in there that they missed. It's not a given. You have to choose it. So let's talk about that. I want to show you a map, how God is giving them time to try to help them choose belief. This map, it's in your study guide as well. They're at Kadesh Barnea, and some scouts go into the land to scout out this land. God has promised 600 years before to Abraham, 
I am going to give you this land. And finally, this generation who God has delivered from slavery, made the Ten Commandments and a covenant with, are standing here at the doorway to the promised land. They send out spies. The spies come back and they say, it's all we hope for and more. God was right. This land of our ancestors, milk and honey, the basics and luxury, right? This is a wonderful place. And then they have this crucial turning point here where they go, oh, but we're too afraid. Now, the reason they got here instead of up here, this is the road that ran along the Mediterranean Sea. It's called the Way of the Sea. It was an established road um, that went from the Fertile Crescent up here um, down to Egypt. It was a trading route. And if God is going to deliver the people out of Goshen, which is over about right here, the fastest way to get there is what? The way of the sea, right? That's the fastest way to go. In Exodus, we hear, though, that God intentionally didn't take them that way. Intentionally, God said, I'm not going to take them there because if I took them along this way, they would encounter enemies and they would be too afraid because their faith isn't strong enough yet. So God took them the long route down here into the Sinai Peninsula. I'm sorry, my map doesn't go that far. Just imagine it. Down here into the Sinai Peninsula, about, about down here is Mount Sinai, where they took the long way around. They camped out here by Sinai, and finally they come up to Kadesh Barnea about a year and a half after they left Egypt. And the reason God did it that way is because God said they're going to become too afraid if they go the northern route and it's too fast and they encounter an enemy like that. But if God can take them into the desert, away from enemies, away from threats, and each day feed them, and each week teach them that they are valuable beyond what they do and give them a day to rest, and each day they can see that pillar of fire, each night they can see it, and each day the pillar of cloud and follow God and see that God is trustworthy, and water comes from rocks and quails run into the camp to be eaten. If they can see this day after day, you see in the wilderness it's a safe incubator for their faith where they won't have to encounter a giant or an enemy right away where God says you need to just grow up and become strong. Just put the shackles of slavery behind you and live into being my people. But they don't. And what we see is that every time God provides, they grumble about it. Every time there's a lack, they don't say, man, the God who tore open the sea can surely provide me a mouthful of water. Oh, we're going to die. I mean, time and time again, Moses goes away to get the Ten Commandments, and they're like, he's never coming back. I'm sure he's dead. Here, if I, if I give you my earrings, can you make a God for me? What? So they stand at Kadesh Barnea, and the spies come back and they say, this land is all that God promised us. And then their leaders, not all of them, but their leaders, the spies say, but we are grasshoppers. They are giants. There's no way we can do this. Weep and mourn because we're dead. And so the people go back to their tents and they cry all night. And in the morning, they are not stronger of spirit. They're not ready to face giants. They're ready to turn around and go back to being slaves. And so the choice that they make is this choice where they say, let's find somebody, not Moses, 
who will take us back to slavery. He had seen the most of any generation on this earth, and yet every single choice took them further away from God. And so when it comes time for them to step forward and claim what God has for them, they don't have the resources. They say we're grasshoppers. And so God is so upset with them, you can imagine, that Moses has to intercede, and Moses says, please forgive your people. And God says, okay. But nobody in this generation is going across the river to the promised land. He says, they're all going back to the desert, and we're going to let their kids try. And so for 40 years, this generation wanders around lost in the desert until they have all died and their kids can try to make the right choice. Now, let me be clear when I say the next thing. I have never felt this way about any church that I've served. But I know pastors who have expressed something of this, of this encountering a generation who is wandering um, because they say to me and to others, what my church needs is a couple of funerals. Never let that be us. Never let that be you. Never let that be me, God. That we would be the ones where because we don't have the faith or we don't have the courage or we don't believe enough, we block our children and the next generation from taking the courageous steps and getting the promised land that God has laid out for us because we're too afraid and we said, it's death, I can't do it. Okay, so they do have to die before their children can try. And I see far too many Christians who we should be the ones where people go, man, look at them. Look at the great things that they are believing and doing because of Jesus, right? Instead, it's like, look at them doing circles in the desert. No. So how do we choose? Well, Moses gives us the best advice, of course. I mean, again, these people had Moses for a leader, so you kind of like, you had Moses. And they're always like, give us somebody besides Moses. Not good enough. So he says to them, he says to the next generation, after all the parents have died, they're standing at the gateway to the promised land. He is going to die too. So this scripture is taking us from Numbers to Deuteronomy. This is his last speech, and he's talking to the kids. And he tells them their story. He says, remember when you were kids, you were slaves. Remember how God brought you out? Remember how for 40 years your clothes haven't worn out and you've always had enough to eat and water has come from dry rocks. Remember how God made a covenant with you? Remember your story? And then he gets to this important point. He says, this day, today, forget what's behind you, right? Today, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life that you and your children will live. Okay, those are the words ringing in their ears as they go to stand before the River Jordan and decide, are we going to do this? Are we going to face the giants, right? Now choose life. So that's what I want us to do. Now, okay? Now. The choices that we make today matter. 
they matter so deeply. The little ones and the medium ones and the big ones. The people thought, the first generation, that if on the big days, if when God tore open the Red Sea, they did a dance, and they were like, praise God from whom all blessings flow, you know. Then the next day, when they didn't have any food, they were like, we don't have any food, and we're going to die, that that was fine, because they had gotten it right on the big day. No. It's every day. God took them into the wilderness so that every day they would have a chance to choose him, to wake up and see that he provided, to rest and trust that they would have enough when they stopped working, to lead their children following him and say, God has never led us wrong, right? Now is the time to make the choices because the choices you make today and I make today, they either build us up into people who are like, we're imperfect, but we've got God. Or they shrink us down to a little grasshopper. And so by the time these people got to the promised land, their choices had made them into grasshoppers in their own eyes and in the eyes of others. So when we choose, we, we have to say, what I do today matters. If I stand up and say, I belong to God like Caitlin does, did, that matters. If I go visit people in the hospital, that matters. If for the first time I say, I'll serve communion, that matters. That's a now choice that is building up our faith and helping us be stronger so that when we really are facing a giant, we're going to have all of that girding us up, getting us ready. Now, today matters. Now choose, right? Now choose. Remember how the world was broken by a choice? How God said, this is life, and that right there is death. So don't eat death and enjoy life. And what did the people do? They went to death. That one choice broke the world, cursed it. We have broken relationships with others, with God. The world is broken as a result of it all from one choice. So doesn't it make sense that when God goes to put the world back together, it involves me choosing to be part of that, you choosing to be part of it, right? I mean, it doesn't matter how much Moses wants it, right? He can want it all day long, but if the people are making a different choice, none of them are going to make it to the promised land. We have to choose if God's going to remake this world, and God's going to do it, y'all. It's going to happen, it's whether or not we get to be a part of it, whether or not we get to put our hands into it and put our stamp on that and say, I helped with that. The story of God's going to go on. What did this do to it? It delayed it for 40 years until there rose up a generation that chose God, and then they triumphed. So God's story is going to happen. We just want to be the ones that say, I'm here. Put me in. I'll be a part of this. And we see that Caleb and Joshua are making that choice. And I don't want to belabor this point, but Caleb and Joshua went through the same wilderness and the same trials and the same parched throats and grumbling stomachs as everybody else. And yet look how they come out. They're, most of the community is, oh, you know, death. Ah! 
And Caleb and Joshua are like, life, it's right across the river. Let's go get it. Why? Choice. Little choices every day that those men had made built them up. And little choices that the rest of the community made tore them down until they were grasshoppers. Choice matters. Now, now, today, choose, got to decide your team, life. What did the people think was on the other side of the river? I mean, they thought it was great, but what was lurking for them? Death, right? Death, they said. There's somebody with a sword. We're going to die. It'll never work. It's awful. God was not calling them to die. God was calling them to life. But it involved a risk. They did have to risk their lives. They did have to take their children's hands and trust God that if they made that move, he wouldn't abandon them. It was a huge risk for them. And that's the way it always is with God. Always. God will do these great things for us, but that's not enough if we're not willing to say, now I will give something real and important and meaningful to you, God. Now I will risk something that matters. Like Abraham risking his son's life, remember? Like Noah risking to build an ark on dry ground. Like Joseph risking those 13 years as a slave and a prisoner and never letting go. We, we have to be the kind of people who are not just like, give it to me, God, the miracles, but are like, because of all you have done for me, I will lay it out on the line for you. Remember how Jesus said, those who seek to preserve their life will lose it. But those who lay down their life for me will find it. It's not a new story. This is our choice. Is that whenever God says, hey, let's do something great and scary and risky. Here's a giant. Let's go face him. We always have to decide, am I in? And every time we can say that, I'm in. We're choosing life. God's plan for you and me is not death. People always thought it was. They thought God had taken them into the desert to kill them. He had taken them into the desert to protect them, to shape them and grow them up. Now, I want to read to you what Caleb and Joshua say to the people before they're turned around, trying to persuade them to listen. And I want this to be the words, um, whatever giant it is you feel like you're facing, then let Caleb and Joshua speak to you today. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us, do not be afraid. Let's pray. Lord God, we have seen your wonders. You've given us this story so that we know it's not just in our generation that you are doing great things, but still today we see them. And we also know that just because we see doesn't mean we believe. So help us, God, 
to each day choose you to face giants in your name, to risk ourselves, our reputation, what we hold most valuable for the sake of the call that you're placing on us and for the sake of inheriting life from you. Help us, God, when our courage falters to remember it's not just us, it's the one who goes with us. And help us, Lord, not to be the ones who wander in the desert for 40 years, but the generation that lifts its head and says, you're calling, I'm coming. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.